Hello and welcome again to Planet Product Owner. This is your host, Scott. Uh, I want to welcome you in. I think this uh, episode today is going to be curiously interesting for many of you. Uh, but before I get into today's episode about switching from one team role and maybe coming into a product owner role, just want to share a couple of things first that I have learned so far in this journey with all of you, my faithful listeners and subscribers. <laughs> uh, first, the listenership and the plays are enormous on this podcast. Really blown me away. Uh, as you know, I don't market this thing. I don't advertise it very well at all. Um, it's primarily based on word of mouth. Uh, maybe some good searching uh, will get you here too. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that's kind of why you're stumbling on this podcast because I really, like I say, don't advertise it much. But I really want to thank you for your support. Um, shamelessly, I would like to plug my Venmo and Cash App IDs with you that you can find on the description area of the podcast. <laughs> so I call that the Feed Scott Fund. Um, in any event, I'm kind of kidding, but, you know, if you do find it valuable, you know, donations are certainly welcome. Um, the next thing I'd like to cover with you before we get going, I want to thank you all for your encouragement, your feedback, and your questions. Today, I'm actually going to do an episode around a topic uh, that I recently got from a listener, and you know I love those things, so keep those things coming. I get a lot of emails, and I'm sorry if I don't get right back with you, um, but I do, uh, you know, I do read through them, uh, and I do try to address a lot of your uh, topics and questions on the podcast. Um, I think you continue to validate for me that I was doing the right thing by trying this little project and creating content that was useful to you and not just reading from a book or interviewing somebody all the time. I think that's pretty, uh, I think that's what makes us unique here uh, at what we're doing together. Finally, uh, I want to bring you all kind of up to speed about the podcast itself and what I'm doing, uh, particularly those of you who are new and joining in and listening for the first time today. So I essentially put the art of being a product owner on a third grade level to you, and we talk a lot about the art of the product owner. Now, we don't just talk about... Um, the product owner, because even though, you know, the product owner operates primarily in agile space. And so I do try to address many things in the agile space as well. So it's not just about product owners that we do here. I normally tell you before I get going into the topic, you know, this is for organizational leaders, or this is for scrum masters too, or this is for the dev team or, uh, or, or, or it's just a product owner discussion today. Uh, so as you're kind of filtering through and sorting through some of the previous episodes, I again apologize that I messed up the uh, order of those things with going back and reformatting a couple of things out of there and taking out some dead air and all of that stuff. But uh, I hope that it, the quality is getting better. Um, sorry for the delay again, this COVID thing and over the summer has got everybody whacked out because the kids are driving everybody crazy and we're running around trying to find masks and all that stuff to go along with what we're doing every day. And, you know, life has just changed for us, so we're trying to figure that out, right? Um, I say all of these things to float an idea out to you. I feel that what you're getting here is a little different than just reading a book, following a guide, taking a test, getting a cert. That's not what we do. You're learning about thinking patterns and taking away clear action items, I hope, that will help you in your day-to-day -day operations in your role so you can be more effective. That's really what I wanted to provide here. And I have largely focused on the art side, but I think we also have to realize that there's a science side to this as well. And I don't ever want to really marginalize or neglect, you know, the science of what we do. I just think that a lot of stuff out there today seems to be like wash, rinse, and repeat stuff. And 
I don't know what kind of value a lot of the organizations are getting out of implementing a framework um, to monopoly house rules, right? That's really not the way you're, you're going to get it done. You're not going to get the most, uh, the most impact out of doing it that way. So that leads me kind of to an announcement, I guess. So I'm considering taking this little project of mine to the next level. I think the, uh, that having some audio is good, but everybody knows that a lot of this stuff is just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, there's content out there that I've been promising to get you that I really don't know how to present in an audio fashion. So I think you guys would benefit from some handouts and some templates and visual aids that I've either developed and created on my own or I've borrowed them and refined them and made them better or I've called them, you know, and said, no, this sucks. I'm not using this. Nobody else would either. Um, but I also think you'd benefit from a different perspective on the science of all this as well. So I think that many organizations, again, lack the art behind the science. And that's when they flip the script on everybody when they go through their agile transformations. And I feel like that's why I'm here. Uh, I feel like this project has validated the need for folks like me to coach you and your management teams and uh, some other folks in the space and you know, because a lot of times we get stuck in what I call the spin cycle. We're in the agile spin cycle and we just get stuck here. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and I already get a lot of email from you. So I know I'm probably setting myself up for, for a mini disaster, but I am asking that you would take a minute and email me, scott at plantproductowner.org with a yes or a no, and maybe just a quick summary or a line or two of what you and uh, maybe even your organizational leaders would want me to cover if I did blow the lid off of just having a podcast alone and I started hosting more content. Um, and, you know, it's obviously probably not going to be free, right? But it'll be cheap. I mean, my gosh, you're getting this for free. It's cheap. You're getting good stuff. Um, in any event, um, I'm starting to formulate an entire journey of the Agile transformation from like executive management down to a team level and even to a team player. Uh, content like that, I'd love to be able to share that to a much broader pre- uh, platform than just strictly audio. I hope you guys would be interested in such a thing, and if you are, really like to have your support and helping me get the word out, uh, just like you're already doing with the podcast. So there's that. Um, that's my, my that's my five minute sales pitch. I like that. <laughs> All right, so let's shift gears and dive into a topic. And yeah, like I said earlier, this topic was sent in from a listener, which I love to get. You know why I like that so much? It's because it's relevant. It's something that you need help with, and if you need help with it, then likely someone else is too. So let's buckle up and get to Planet Product Owner. You know, let's be honest. Oftentimes, larger organizations tend to just simply stress out folks, (laughs) you know, when they make a switch to some kind of agile transformation. And we find ourselves filling roles that are really not fulfilling anymore to us. Um, with that, you know, I, I find in a lot of cases as well that, and, and managers, organizational leaders, whatever, I'm, I'm going to kind of speak to you for just a minute here. You may tend to uh, try to stick square pegs into round holes, right? See, the issue with many agile transformations is that we take project managers and convert them to scrum masters, and those are not the same kinds of uh, people. Now, I'm not saying they can't learn it, but there's some habits to break, There's some habits that are good for you in that role that you get from another kind of role. Um, And there are some habits that you really need to leave in the other position and not let them (laughs) commingle. It's bad, 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 bad. 
Uh, we take mid-level managers or senior business analysts and program-level kind of people, and we make them product owners. You know, and sometimes that works out, and sometimes that doesn't work out. Right? Just again, there are some things you have going for you to help you in that role, and there are some things that you really got to break loose of uh, to be uh, successful into that spot. We ask QA resources sometimes to become a team member on the air quote scrum team. Um, when this happens during like your organizational transformation, um, what happens there is that we got multiple roles to fill and we're not really sure how to fill them because it's all new to us. We don't really know what to expect. And and it's not like we're going to go out and just let everybody go or dump them into the basement and then rehire an entire staff, right? That's not the way it's going to work in your organizational, uh, transformation. I keep going to, I'm going to use that word anyway. Uh, now, so as it is new to management making these decisions, we also have to remember that it's new to you when you land in one of these spots, right? I had a listener one time tell me that he was moving from like kind of an implementation coordinator role into a product manager, uh, a product owner rather. And, you know, we had a little conversation about, Hey, you know, this is, um, you know, here are some of the things you got going for you. Here are some of the things you're going to have to kind of adapt to or adopt uh, within working in this role, you know. So it's not that that transition is not impossible. It's that you have skills that you can use in parallel um, that will match up to, you know, what I would consider some attributes or characteristics of the new role, as long as you've been working kind of in a, in, in a space that, you know, is similar to what you're going into, I guess. Um, trust me though, when I tell you that I feel your pain, (laughs) been there, done that, got a t-shirt, you know, all that business. And so when you think of the life cycle or even just any lifespan of something, right, you think of the newness of it, then you got the learning curve and the excitement, then you got the adoption of being where you are and accepting where you are. Then you got kind of get comfortable because you've mastered it and then you get burned out because it's the same crap all over again, right? And it's time for a change. I feel you. I get it. Totally get it. Sometimes, you know, you're in a QA or a scrum master team role or whatever, and a product owner position opens up, and you're interested in it, right? So your first thought is maybe uh, I'm not sure that I can do that, but I really want to do it. Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) The want to part is the biggest part of it, okay? The want to part is the biggest part of it. Now, sometimes you're just not a good fit for it. And that's okay because you're probably a good fit for uh, something else in the big scheme of things. And it may not be a product owner. And I don't mean that to say that it's a downward move either. I would say maybe it's a better upward move for you. You know, you have to really, and I think it was, I don't know, maybe it was Michael Jordan that said it. You have to imagine yourself being great before you can be great, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I've used that quite a bit when I'm coaching. So, um, being a product owner is not for the faint of heart, okay? But it's also not just an exclusive group of ivory tower seats either and suits. That's not what it is, okay? So I think there's some encouragement there, I think, for you. Uh, I would like for you to look back, though, as painful as it may be, to dig around through a couple of uh, previous episodes that I have um, that I have out there in the podcast. One of them is called Welcome Young New Product Owner, if you find that one. I think um, I think you'll find a lot of value in that because what I'm speaking to there is kind of your first days or first months or first weeks or first iterations or whatever you want to call it on the job, so to speak. And it kind of lays out a pretty good plan for you uh, if you're new to the role. 
um, what I think is the very first episode that I ever did. And it was probably like at 1030 at night in a bad closet or something. And it was awful. The audio wasn't tremendous. But I think the first episode that I did called Three, Open, uh, uh, Three Unspoken Responsibilities of the Product Owner, I think that one gives you a real good insight to some of the many hats that you might wear. Okay. Um, there's another one out there about the hats that the product owner wears. I think that's a decent one to catch up on too, if you're new to the role. Um, but now I do want to talk about like a QA specialist, right? So, because that was specific to the question that I had in the email, there are some characteristics of QA specialists you can take advantage of to propel you into a product owner role. Um, and so I'm going to cover a few of those here, um, real quick in the remaining parts of this segment. Um, the first one is that you know how to anticipate objections. Now, this is one of the biggest attributes that a product owner's got to have. You've got to be able to anticipate objections. Okay. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, <laughs> let me give you a little home, a little home example of that. Okay. Um, been coaching volleyball, like, I don't know, a lot of nights during the week, been gone. Also worked concession stand last weekend for a tournament that we hosted to make a little extra money for the athletic club and all this volunteer on my part, by the way, but I was gone all weekend. Should I ask my wife if I can go play golf on Sunday after I've been gone pretty much every night and all weekend? She's probably going to have an objection to that, right? I'm probably not going to be able to go play golf on Sunday. Now, I can ask her if she has plans on Sunday. It's probably a little bit better way to get to it, right? And then if she says, no, we don't have anything planned, and I'll say, well, you know, I was kind of thinking, all right, now... Now you kind of get what I'm saying. It's the same way with software bills and the same way with getting adoption across the platform. It's the same way with getting adoption from stakeholder sponsors and clients. You have to really anticipate the objection. So as a QA analyst, you already got that. A QA specialist, QA expert, whatever you want to call yourself, you have to not only understand that the objections that your customer may come up with in your proposed uh, solutions and approaches, but you also have to learn how to... Um, understand, I guess, and communicate your own objections to it. Now, it's the same thing. It's just different. I mean, you already have innately, because you're a QA specialist or a QA expert, you already have an understanding uh, and a way to communicate your own objections to what is going on with the approach or with the solution or why you think you can get something done or can't get something done that you're committing to. Okay. Um, you have the ability to know when something's going to fail, right? And you probably already understand why it's going to fail. Because, I mean, remember, you you run, you pass, you fail, right? Because business rules and all that stuff, something that speaks to you, you already got all of that. You got a list of business rules, and you can check against that set of rules. Now, um, that's going to kind of bring me to the second characteristic that you have, which is you know how to script and test. Okay, Scott. Uh, what, what does that have to do with being a product owner? Well, and product owners, listen, I mean, I'm going to kind of wrap this up for you and hope you get it. So product owners do pay attention to this. As a QA expert, you already know how to script out functionality. Uh, as a product owner, you were, um, you know, if you move into that role, you're just going to switch gears from following the script to creating the script. Okay. Now I've been asked a question before. Um, doesn't that kind of fall outside the lines of a product owner role? My answer is a resounding no. The reason I say this is because as a product owner, you have rights as a team member as well. 
and you have to help the rest of the team focus on uh, a test-driven approach. Now, I'm not saying test first, test in the middle. I'm not saying you have to do it a certain way. What I'm saying is the more objections you anticipate up front and the more prepared your team is to understand the edge cases or they understand the exceptions or the errors, right, um, the better off you're going to be. Now, I haven't covered much uh, gherkin you know, with you, but it works fantastic for me as a product owner who wants to position the acceptance criteria into executable and demonstrable, demonstrable. I want to show the functionality. <laughs> um, so when we speak in terms of that, what we're doing really is we're providing a way in our acceptance criteria or in our conditions of satisfaction that meets, uh, meets the outcome. Now, as a product owner, what I want to try to do, and I've told you guys this before, is I want to get 80%. So that was kind of, I want to get it 80% qualified or figured out for the team to help them understand. Because if I don't, all we're going to be doing is elaborating. We're going to be asking questions that we should already know the answer to. And if you're the product owner, then you should already know most of those answers as it is, right? So I'm not telling you to write at all, but I am saying that as a QA expert or a QA member, you already know how to script the stuff. You already know what you're looking for on how you're going to test it, how you're going to fail it, you know. And I think that's an important trait or characteristic for you to have. And I think it's something that transitions over very well and make you a really effective product owner uh, if you take advantage of that. Now, I'll tell you something else here. Um, as a QA expert, you've got something else going on for you here um, that works really well to your favor. You have the ability to say no. <laughs> and saying no, or at least no, not right now, and that there's an episode on that too, by the way, um, is a big deal for a product owner. That's a good, a good characteristic to have. So, um, and I would even say so much that I actually spent, you know, again, that whole episode on that subject. So now, um, all you're doing really is you're just flipping the script on helping folks understand that the value is in the whole product or parts of the product rather than the value of the numbers passed, failed, executed, not run, whatever. Does that make sense? So when you have the ability to say no like that, remember, whose job is it to say yay or nay, this is potentially shippable or this is ready for live, right? It's the product owner. Now, you already have that trait in you because you know as well as I do, you're not going to let them go to production with something that's a critical or serious defect, right? Now, I, I'm going to get into kind of the, bad, uh, the, the, the other side of that, <laughs> you know, in the next segment, but... Um, but I, I think you understand where I'm going with that, though, right? You, you, you have the ability to say no, or at least no, not right now. And so you got to kind of keep that up. Um, I think one last characteristic uh, that I think uh, QA expert has going for them is that they have exposure to the sequence of events. Y'all remember the precondition trigger post-condition scenarios I've talked about in other episodes? Now, this one... This one is kind of a blessing and a curse. We'll talk about that one in the next uh, in the next segment. Um, this could be good or bad, um, and I'll tell you why. It's because I don't already have to tell you um, that you're, you know, this is kind of. Let me say it this way: depending on your tester face, right? What is your tester face? You either have the team in your corner, or they just literally really hate to see you coming, right? I mean, or which QA expert are you? Because I can be, I can tell you the truth. I've had QA folks work on uh, efforts that we've had, and I would really, I would tell my team, like, gosh, I don't tell him about that. 
<laughs> you know? So, but then, you know, he would inevitably find it, and then it's back to the drawing board, and it's like, my gosh, okay, you're so stickler, you know, for the requirements and all of that stuff, but the users are not going to be impacted by this. So can we just agree to let it go? Um, let me just see where you are on a scale of, you know, teams in your corner or team hates to see you coming. Um, you know, and, and here, let me help you with that a little bit to kind of expand it on, on it a little bit and give you a little bit different perspective. So are you the tester that's going to wait on things until the end of the show to close the curtain on everybody and tell them to go home, tip the waiter? Or are you the one who's going to protect the interest of the Agile, right, of this mindset and the spirit of Agile by proposing ways that you would fail a test case and then allowing them to tie into the elaboration, so to speak, to uh, protect against it. Does that make sense? Because the reason I ask that is because if you're the QA person who just wants to wait around to the end and gets kicked out of uh, your pass and fail percentages and kind of egg on the face kind of deal, that's not really going to work for us in the Agile mindset, right? Um, It's because we're a team and we're all responsible for the outcome. So um, if you're going to be that way, though, they're going to hate to see you coming. So that's going to be kind of a knock against your street cred, so to speak, right? Um, Now, all said, I think you have, obviously, within that same deal, you got the, that's one of the areas where I think you have the biggest strength. You already know the sequence of events that have to be followed in order for the thing to work right. You already know the dependencies. You already know the predecessors. You already know the output that you're looking for. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you actually specifically know uh, everything about any given domain, but the main point of it is, is like I've shared with product owners in the past, is that conceptually you understand that these things have to exist in order to have some outcome that you're looking to get. Makes sense? So I think that thinking pattern puts you at an advantage. So I hope that helps. Um, Just a few areas there where I think a QA person would, uh, a QA expert or a QA lead or whatever would work into a product owner role. Um, Now, in the next segment, I want to talk about some of the things that's might going to give you some trouble um, if you're looking to jump into that role. Uh, So stick around. We'll talk about that in just a sec. So there's obviously some good traits that you have and some stuff that would move parallel uh, with what you're doing today as a QA expert or a QA lead going into a product owner role. I think the biggest, uh, I think the biggest thing that you guys got to overcome uh, when you're thinking about doing that is um, really just the confidence factor. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, it's the confidence factor. How do I overcome? How do I overcome my own objections? You know, because I don't feel like I'm a great communicator, or I don't feel like I'm this or that. Um, remember. I'm giving you a lot of information here on to on on how to improve um, your art as being a product owner. But if you look in the guide, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't care what your organization says. Your job is to maximize value of the work produced by a team, right? I mean, that that's really it, right? So if you can do that, you may not be the best communicator in the world. Okay, who cares at the end of the day if you can talk or not, right? I mean, at the end of the day, are you driving the te- or, you know are you driving the results of that test? Are you are you maximizing the value? Are you optimizing the way that it comes in and out? You know, are you delivering a good product? Got to deliver. That's that's really that's really it. So don't beat yourself up. Um, 
I think, however, there are a few things that are kind of innate to your personalities, just knowing what I know about QA folks, um, that, 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 that you need to just be aware of and be on the lookout for, right? First thing that comes to mind for me is that you're a stickler for the details. <laughs> you already know the consequences of not having that stuff laid out. It's a good thing, right? But it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Like I say, the thing is, um, you know, the thing you want to defend yourself from is getting too deep into the details. Um, you got to learn how to learn and let learn, okay? Your communication strategies with the team, that's going to be vastly different than what it is today because you're, you're kind of catching them somewhere or you're helping them understand why you're going to fail this or why you're going to pass this or what it would work. You know, even helping them prevent it by telling them every time that, you know, that there has to be a change. And what has to happen is you got to change that and you got to kind of flip the script on yourself and you got to say, okay, now how am I going to lead them to the answer? But you can't do it for them anymore. And that's, that's just the deal. All right. Um, I think there's another episode out there about being the boss, not being the boss, being the leader, but not being the leader. You know, it's that kind of deal. I mean, what I found most effective is when I lead the team uh, to the victory without being in front. I mean, I really, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing, you know. Um, I've also recommended in the past that your communication strategies are centered around the team finding the answer. So you really have to shift gears into that mindset, you know, and that and that's something that needs to start to um, pretty much day one. I mean, whenever you start getting into these things, into the stories or into the elaboration or whatever it is you're doing. And the reason I say that is because... Um, you know, I've, I've, I've said this before. If you do it all, they don't have anything to do. Um, coders want to code. They want to solve problems. I've said that millions of times on this podcast. Um, you know, they want to be the ones to solve the thing. You have to ask them. Um, you have to prepare the what for them. You know, so as long as you get the what, let them figure out the how. Let them figure out, you know what they have to figure out on there. I mean, and I'm not saying just throw them out on a desert island somewhere with no water. I mean, you, you got the water in the story. You got the water in the acceptance criteria or the condition satisfaction. You got that in the definition of done. Your team should have that already, right? I am saying, though, that you have to lead them more into finding their own answers and helping them understand why it's a good question to ask. Make sure they're asking the right questions. And if they're not asking the right questions, just come back with them and say something to the point of, can you ask me a different way? I don't quite understand. Why are you asking me that way? You know, it all goes back to those simple little communication strategies that we've talked about. And that'll help you kind of turn the curve on that. Now, along uh, along the lines, um, that same weakness kind of thing, uh, along the same point maybe, um, here's another challenge I think you got to prepare for, and it's about the details again. So you expect it to pass to your liking, as a QA analyst, right, as a QA lead, well, you may or may not get that outcome anymore as a product owner, <laughs> right? Because as a product owner, you have to make the call on when it's ready to go. So I'm not saying to throw out your standards, you know, throw your standards totally out the window and take home the best, best next thing sitting at the end of the bar. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to have a balance there between the value and the delivery, okay? Does that make sense? And you got to focus on the majors, not the minors, you can't focus on the major. Uh, you can't focus on the minors anymore as a product owner. You have to. Fo you let the team focus on the minors. You focus on the majors. Okay. 
Um, that's hard sometimes already for what I call natural product owners because a lot of us are entrepreneurial. A lot of us are kind of take charge kind of people. We want to get things done. We want to move in the right direction. But you, QA lead, you, QA person, you are going to be in a special category for this because you have standards that are way higher than what the rest of the world have because you're a quality expert, okay? So you can't wear that on your shoulders because if you start wearing it on your shoulders, then you know what's going to happen? You're not going to lean toward progress. You're not going to lean toward progress, and that's important for us as product owners. We have to lean toward progress, and we have to make sure that, hey, look, we got two escape defects. We got one that, you know, two escape defects that we didn't find in all of our testing. We got one that we knew we rolled out with, and we're willing to take that risk. That, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to hold up the whole build because it doesn't meet your expectations? (sighs) I don't know. So when you do that, what you're telling the team is that they suck, they didn't do a really good job, and they didn't get anything done this PI or this quarter or this sprint or this iteration or whatever, right? I mean, you're not telling them that, but that's what they're hearing. I promise. Nothing's ever good enough for my product owner. Nothing's ever good enough for my PO. You don't want to be that product owner, right? You want to lean toward progress. Let them learn. We don't fail. We learn. That's kind of part of the vocabulary, right, as a tester. (laughs) So as a QA person, you know, you're always using the word fail. We don't fail. We learn. So that's kind of one of those uh, things that you got to kind of recognize. I think you do already, and you got to overcome that. Now, there's another thing I think uh, that you may need help overcoming, and that's how the communications methods uh, and strategies there transition for a product owner and for a QA expert or QA lead. You are currently working really deeply with the teams, and you're thinking in terms of business rules and matrices and lists and even checklists and you got to make some modifications, perhaps, because your DP technical, functional kind of groove um, that you have right now going, you got to kind of shift that focus to help you sell what you want to do. Now, I've said this before, and I'm not saying that every product owner has to be a salesperson. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying it'll help you, okay? Um, you kind of need to be a salesperson sometimes as a product owner. And if you're a QA expert who doesn't really get much out, get out much with other people or whatever, you know, your only conversations in your experience really primarily are taking place with the team members, right? Or the coders or the developers or the team or the business analysts, perhaps, right? So you need to start joining the product owner for these work sessions that they're doing, these elaboration sessions and all that stuff. I mean, really, you should already be in some of those um, ceremonies or events anyway. Um, so you probably already know what's happening there. But the thing is, you're going to notice voice inflection. You're going to notice nonverbal cues. You're going to take notes in that because you're going to listen with a different ear and you're going to ask the product owner out of these sessions, why did you ask them in that way? Why did you let them go down the path where you already knew it was going to be a dead end? Why did you let them do that? And your product owner is going to come back and say, well, I did that because I already knew where they were going, but I wanted them to see it for themselves while talking through it, that it was a terrible idea. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's not that we're playing gotcha. It's not that. It's just that if you as a product owner sit at the front of the table or the middle of the table or whatever, and you say, look, can I just stop you right there? That's a dead end street. You're going nowhere. What does that do for your street cred? Nothing. It hurts you more than anything, right? 
So you got to let them finish. You got to let them get through it. Now, as you start getting into those sessions, you start learning all that stuff and you start expanding on the nature of the conversations and the way that these things run. It's going to help you out a lot. Remember, you're typically always on the execution side, which in my opinion is one set of skills. Now you're kind of shifting to the inception elaboration side as well. And that's a different set of skills for a lot of people. But I would say this, the more time you spend on just getting down to the business and forgetting about all that other stuff, the better off you're going to be. So uh, those are some of the things I think to overcome. Um, I'm going to shift gears into the next segment here, see if we can get off this crazy planet for the day. Uh, so stick around. So I think there's a lot of things that you have in your tool belt, so to speak, to offer if you're a QA lead uh, for a product owner role. Um, I think, you know, if you're making the leap, I would highly recommend that you start with reviewing the stories that product owners in your area or your teams are currently using. I think there's probably a lot of insight that you could provide right off the bat, even to those product owners, um, just by the nature of how you think. You think differently than a lot of us do. Um, I don't think, I, I think that would not only just help the team as it is, but I think it would help you definitely as a future product owner. Um, I want you to think, though, in terms of creating your plan to make the jump with a few things in mind. Um, first, nobody is a perfect product owner, not even yours truly, as much as I would love to admit to it, okay? Um, there's always room to improve. I always want you to remember that. Um, the second thing is, I think getting buy-in and confidence from the team that you're going to take responsibility for decisions that's the most critical thing that you can do. Right, wrong, indifferent. Make the call. You've got to make the call. Stick to it and uh, have what I call a planned abandonment in place. Okay? Um, another thing I think would help you with that planned abandonment is refer to the concept that I've talked about before of having a primary and secondary sprint goal. That, that might help you out to understand what I mean by planned abandonment. What I'm saying is, if this thing all goes to hell, <laughs> what are we going to do this sprint, okay? Um, so, so make sure you're getting that, uh, getting that kind of part of your planning focus already, okay? The third thing I would say is, and this goes for anybody. I mean, this is not just for a new product owner. This is for any product owner. Inspect and adapt honestly, okay? You have to be able to call, you know, balls and strikes, and you don't have to worry about the baseball mom looking over your shoulder all the time. You're the new baseball mom, okay? So if you don't like the call, that's your problem. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're the baseball mom and the umpire. <laughs> um, reflect on it every day in your backlog. Share care time with yourself and commit to doing better, okay? I think those are three things that you can really uh, focus on to help get your practice moving in the right direction. Now, I think that many, if given the chance, would make the jump to a product owner um, just because it is fun. It's a great field. I love the idea of being in a product owner role. Um, it's like, take me back. Anyway, um, so so you'd love to uh, move into a different role on the team, you know, and I think that's great. And I think you got to remember, too, that, I mean, what didn't we say we were cross-functional? I mean, yeah, sure, you're a product owner, you've got a role. Scrum master, you got a role. Team, you got a role. But, you know, we, we've all got these skill sets that we can use, right? So... The main thing to remember is that it's a team, okay? Now, there's no I in team. We recall that. But I did tell you that there are decisions that have to be made. So 
while there's no I in team, there certainly is an M and an E, right? <laughs> so you have to put your fingerprint on the direction and the characteristics and the kind of the personality of this team. Um, you got to put your fingerprint on that, your own identity on that. Um, and you got to keep that in mind and blend that with what it's going to take to maximize the value of the work that's being done. Um, finally, I would say, you know, don't defeat yourself right out of the gate. Um, there's a first time for everything, and maybe this is your chance. And I would love to get your feedback on that, too. Uh, listen, thanks again for joining. I hope you found this episode useful. Until next time, have a safe, fun, lean journey, my friends. Mm-hmm.